in Scott County in the middle of summertime, it always smells like chicken. <laughs> well, what I started smelling instead of that was cow patties. And I started wondering, why are people spending more time with cattle and what's going on with chickens? But you could literally smell the yes. economy change. I could smell the economy change. <laughs> From Innovate Mississippi, this is Origins of Innovation, raw, honest conversations with founders on the then and now of their Mississippi-based startups. I'm Bo York, and on today's show, how founder David Clark is creating the eBay of cows. Yes, cows. David Clark is the founder and CEO of Catalog, a startup that makes buying and selling cows as easy as the click of a button. But before he was seeking to disrupt the cattle industry, in the summer of 2005, David began his first career in the U.S. military. From an early age, he wanted to own his own business, but he lacked clear direction on what steps to take. And for David, that's what the military was. It was able to provide that kind of structure. Also, he wasn't coming from a military family either. My mother, for the most part, was stay-at-home mom. My dad typically worked two jobs at least at any one time. Mm. That may be just being like a janitor sometimes. Uh, he would also work sometimes as a minister. He just kind of went through that kind of constant cycle, and he differentiated himself based upon his work ethic. You know, he wasn't, my dad's a great guy, but he's not necessarily brilliant. His his work ethic and character is what really made him successful in his own right. And so when you when you said, you know, mom and dad, I'm, I'm going to join the military, what was, the, what was their response? Yeah, so both very supportive. I, I think that for them... You know, my, especially my dad, he, he dreamed of joining the Navy with his best friend. And so that was a thing he wanted to do, but he had high blood pressure and things, so they wouldn't let him in. You know, he kind of saw a little bit of his own fulfillment in, in seeing that choice come together. Okay. And my mom was just, you know, very supportive. And I'll, I'll caveat this a little bit as this was before 9-11 and all that stuff. So, so I mean, tension's always high, but obviously does pre, <laughs> pre the tensions now. Have you done some deployments or, or where, where have you been through through that? Yeah, so um, just context, I served on active duty 2005 to 2013, and I, I did deployment to Afghanistan. Great experience. It was definitely the formative experience that I had in my life, both personally and professionally. So uh, definitely put me under unique pressures that you wouldn't see in other experiences. What is the agricultural setup in Afghanistan? The practical benefits of being in the military and organizational skills and, and you know, seeing seeing a project through to completion, obviously, is ingrained as part of that structure. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you've, you've got with, with where your career would end up going. I'm just kind of curious. Did you have any agricultural background or, or you know, what, what was it like in, uh, in Afghanistan? So I've always had an arm's reach agricultural relationship. Um, that's a really good question, by the way. Because what I did in Afghanistan was focused on uh, security within a particular area uh, in and around Kabul, Kabul province. And part of our job isn't just, you know, find bad guys and take them out and that kind of thing. It was really our, our job was building institutions. Hmm. So in this case, the Afghan military. So we had a training mission there, but we also had to work on kind of the civil populist relationship with the Afghan military. And of course, you know, the route to prosperity in a lot of these areas is is being successful in agriculture, whether it's pomegranates or growing just the base wheats and, and things like that. Um, what we ended up doing was creating relationships with some of the NGOs in the area. That experience got me exposed to the most rudimentary kind of need mm. for 
basic agriculture it kind of brought my curiosity around it because I think a lot of people in business maybe look at that as, as they don't think about it as an opportunity and what it actually provides to our bigger economy. I think sometimes we just take it for granted that we all get fed, that we all have, you know, a grocery store that's full of stuff. Um, now there's a lot of work that goes into that. And it started triggering some early questions about that. I, I, it's kind of interesting that you, you know, threw that out there. Well, that's, yeah. that's what we're all about, right? Origins yeah. of innovation. So, yeah. all right. So, so you come back, uh, and when do you finish uh, up with the military? So I finished in 2013. Okay. Um, at that point in time, that's when I made the decision, you know, I really want to go in entrepreneurship. I didn't have a lot of the skill sets that would directly transfer. And this is a common story among veterans, but I, what I do know is I had some leadership experience I had personal growth. I can handle pressure. So I knew I was ready from that personal level. I just needed to get the right skill set. So I'm focused in on finance, marketing, looking at kind of all the all the bacon grease that uh, makes a delicious dinner. Um, <laughs> Metaphorically so, and, yeah. and realistically. <laughs> yeah. So and and with that, I I kind of saw a lot of my classmates, too, in the in the MBA and some of them really wanted to go into investment banking or consulting and have that path. And, and they were passionate about it. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Um, did you have some mentors uh, that, that had done entrepreneurship or had, had made the, the military to business move? Not directly. What I found in the community at Olin, where I went up to my, my business school in St. Louis, uh, Washington University, is they actually had a really good ecosystem of diverse groups of people. Um, not necessarily a lot of veterans uh, that were going down the same path, but a lot of other people who had that same experience, um, you know, coming up in their own way, getting challenged in their own way, and then making the big leap. All right. So you uh, educate yourself in terms of finance and, and uh, business know-how to the best of your ability. In your own words, what is Catalog? catalog at its most essential basis is doing nothing than removing the friction of a transaction between a rancher and a rancher. It's eBay for cows. eBay for cows. Absolutely. eBay for cows. And when we talk about that, you know, how easy is it to buy a car? You can go on. I, I actually did this. This is one thing I, um, you know, again, origins, right? So when I was, uh, when I was a Lieutenant still at Fort Benning, you know, you're, you're not necessarily having all your uh, decision-making skills up to brush uh, in your early 20s. I decided I want to get a muscle car <laughs> because I finally got some money. Right, right, right. So I get a badass 1972 Monte Carlo because I didn't have money for a badass 1972 Chevelle. Right. What I what I get out of that, you know, you do a lot of research. I did all that research online. And when I'm doing all that, I, I finally get connected to the right person. Now, the trust agent for this transaction. We're not buddies. I'm not like buddies with this dude in Ohio. I relied on somebody to help me uh, facilitate that. And eBay Motors actually does a really good job on facilitating the trust uh, issues that you would have in that transaction. Kind of look at the contracts, look at how they do the, and, and they work as an escrow agent too. So they hold the money. And then once I get the car, you know, the seller gets the money. So I think that's a pretty good way to do it versus, you know, I get the car, I put out the money. He has the money, and then maybe he never sends a car. So mm. that all those all those trust issues, um, I, I saw getting resolved with that technology. Got the car; it was a great car. Had a lot of fun with it. 
sold it to get an engagement ring. That's a different uh, story. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, good investment though, right? <laughs> the car was. <laughs> the um, yeah. So when we get when we get done with with you know, I, I think about that. That whole transaction, that process was actually very easy. Mm-hmm. It gave me access to a huge market of collector cars. And it gave me a, the ability to do price comparison and, and make some uh, make it a little bit more competitive. And when I looked out and I did a little reflection on that when I was thinking about catalog, I found that the liquidity in the collector car market increased when you saw those cars being put out online as a, as a platform. So how do you go from cars to cattle? So I'm out in Scott County. In Scott County, I always you know I had to keep in shape and run. In Scott County, in the middle of summertime, it always smells like chicken shit. <laughs> well, what I started smelling instead of that was cow patties, and I started wondering, okay, why why are people you know spend more time with cattle and what's going on with chickens? And so, what well, I, you could literally smell like the yes, economy change. I could smell the economy change. <laughs> That's what's happening in in Scott County. What's happening in the chicken industry is there's been a lot of industry consolidation. You know, a lot of the big players don't have their headquarters in Mississippi, mm. and they control the entire value stream, the entire process. So, in other words, I give you the breed, the chicken, everything. I give you the feed. I give you all the inputs. All you're doing is you're providing the land, the house itself, and some labor, usually mostly management labor. All right, and your margins for that are not very good. And in fact, when you have price fluctuations, you're the first ones is going to be eating that margin. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna erode your margin before I erode mine. Hmm. So a lot of exposure there. At the same time, there's a lot of pressures going on in the cattle market and some uh, new opportunities for Mississippi. I'm a big advocate of the beef industry here in, in Mississippi. I think uh, when you look at who's growing and how it's being grown, it's actually being grown by the ranchers. And they're the ones that get to experience a lot of the benefits of, of the hard work that goes into that production. And so it's a fragmented market. It's kind of chaotic when you compare it to the highly consolidated, very well-structured, neat little market that's being controlled by like three companies in the chicken industry. I saw that as a, hey, you know, how can how can we help these folks here make the market more liquid, easier to buy and sell, really kind of take friction out. So maybe if you're for every dollar of money that you're getting uh, when you're going to sale, how much of that is spent on just the transaction? Like 10 cents, 20 cents? could be a lot of money. So let's let's look at taking that out and giving more in the pockets of folks. What does the average cow sell for? Average beef stock, and this depends of course on the market and the size and all that, but we'll just call it five hundred bucks. And five hundred bucks for a cow. Five hundred bucks. So all right. And so, you know, there's a lot of there's I don't want to go into the intricacies of kind of like feeder cattle and you know, bulls and all these kinds of things. Sure, but, sure. You know, basically, there's uh, different kinds of buyers looking for different things in the market. And all of them are held by the same rules. And those are being um, exposed to being price takers. That's one thing I want to mention here is the current market is such that large buyers are setting prices for smaller producers. And this happens for both markets for cattle that are going directly to slaughter and for cattle that are going to get recirculated to rebalance 
your your herds. So a lot of times people are just trying to balance out the herds or they came short on some cash and they need to get rid of some cattle just to kind of make their bills. I've, I've got probably what's, I, I imagine it's probably a dumb question. Or I guess there's a lot of different kind of cows in terms of what purpose they are being bred for. Hmm. Is there, do y'all, do, do y'all primarily deal in like cattle going, you know, directly for, for the beef or, I mean, what about milking cows? I mean, is that a different tier within that, uh, <laughs> within that product line? Yeah, it is. It's definitely different. Um, and most of our focus is on cows for, for beef consumption. Mm. And, um, if you look at Mississippi, that's most of what's going on here. The other thing too is, uh, dairy cows, they have a longer life expectancy too, you know? So I think most of the value gets unlocked underneath the beef industry there. So it's, um, gotcha. It's yeah. more instant from that standpoint of, you know, uh, I mean, if, if the, uh, buyer knows exactly the investment that they're making in that particular cow, because they know, I would imagine the the size of the cow, therefore how much steak can be produced from that one particular cow, and not kind of projecting out. Oh well, you know whether or not this one lives, you know, x amount of years depends on how much milk it actually produces. Depends on you know x, y, and z. Is yeah, that, is that something like that? Exactly. The fundamental economics are different. You know, you when you're when you're going to have a useful life value of a few years, and you're making your money off the milk versus making the money off the beef. So, are, so how are cows, I mean, like pre, pre-catalog, I mean, like how, what is the traditional way in which, you know, ranchers would buy cows? Where we're at right now and a lot of other regional markets, they're, um, they're done through stockyards. And these stockyards have been very effective in providing their services and they're full service. So a lot of times they'll go out there and they'll help pick up the cattle, they'll schedule those, they'll bring your cattle to market. So a large buyer has the option to buy them. The core problem in this, as we look at our opportunity now, is underneath that circumstance, you don't know what you're going to get at market before you ship the cow. So you're not going to say, oh, check it out, Bob. I'm not liking the price. Go ahead and ship those 40 head back to me. And, um, you know, I'll just, what, what was the transportation charge? Oh, yeah, not, not a problem. I'll pay for that. Right. No, that's not reality. So reality is you're going to ship those cattle and you're going to take whatever they give you. You can look at the market data, but at the end of the day, that's still not going to be enough because it's at 10% extra or 10% loss. Now, if you're working to sell 40 head of cattle at 500 bucks, that starts mattering. Interesting. All right. So from that standpoint, going in and actually having more stats on the individual cow ensures that you're getting a better value. And also one imagines, you know, in a better place as a buyer to negotiate price because you've got those stats. Yeah, it does. And the other thing we're wanting to uh, really kind of pay attention to is how you can differentiate your product. You've seen in the market, maybe some products that were formerly considered and maybe still are to a certain extent commodities turning into upmarket products. So we, we look at coffee, for instance, you have all these different brands being associated with particular kinds of coffee. And I, I would argue that coffee went up market and uh, there are some clear winners in that. Some of that now has happened down even at the production level. We would aspire to do that within the beef industry, especially for uh, Mississippi here. There's an option right now to differentiate your product. Uh, Whole Foods, you can buy regular beef or you can buy grass-fed beef. Turns out all the beef here, they eat grass. They don't start consuming corn and other feeds until they usually go to Texas. Hmm. And they're there at a feedlot. We can actually go up market and cut out a middleman all at the same time. 
Now, now you say here as in, I would imagine, the Mississippi beef industry. Correct. Is is right now, I mean, is that y'all's target market is, is really dealing with Mississippi ranchers or, or are you wanting to expand outside of the state? Well, we definitely want to expand outside the state. Now, what we're looking at uh, in our kind of growth pattern is this, is we're looking at, at the southeastern market. Uh, the southeastern market has highly productive land. It also has a pretty decent beef stock history and legacy. So there are people who are interested in doing this, has world-class veterinarian schools. So there's people that are going into this industry that are passionate about it. And the other thing we, we look at is when we see how we can market to big populations on the East Coast, I think there's a value play there. So there's a lot of reasons why. And the growth here for beef production is going uh, is going the right direction. Now, when we look at total beef consumption in the U.S., it's actually been going down. Uh, and a lot of that reasoning is because when you look at it as being a healthful product uh, and get it compared to chicken or pork, there's not a way to label it as organic, uh, no you know hormone injection, no, no uh, antibiotics and all this kind of stuff that gets pumped into animals to, to increase production. There's not a way to market that really effectively because of that arm's length relationship that currently exists. You have a cow that gets grown by a producer that sells it to a stockyard. The stockyard doesn't really know where that cow came from. The stockyard then sells it to a feedlot, and they don't necessarily know exactly where all those cattle are coming from by eaches, hmm. and then they go up through to the processing chain. So when you actually create a record and you know who the producer is, and then you can sell it up through that chain, that producer, they don't have to, but they could differentiate on quality. They could differentiate on saying, hey, this is a naturally grown product. I, I can attest to exactly, this is the land it was grown on. You know, we have this cool thing with geolocation, makes that super easy. Yeah. Well, and, and so, I mean, like when it comes down to it, from the buyer standpoint, the idea is that you open up the app, you see the cow, you see all the stats, you click it, you buy it, and they bring it to you. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's where we're going with this. Now, when we look at um, the process of getting there, we understand that we don't want to do everything, that we want to partner with people who are best in practice. You mean internally? And both internally and externally. Well, that's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So internally, y'all don't want to deal with the, the transportation, so you're partnering external. But from the end user standpoint, mm -hmm. they don't have to worry about that. Or Correct. Do, okay, so that's 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 the paint picture that I think is important to paint, right? We're the integrator. Yeah, that's great, man. All right, so there, obviously there's a significant technology component to this. You mentioned the the G, you know the GPS and and kind of verifying the location of where it is. Do you have a tech background? Are you, are you a coder? I do coding enough to appreciate all the uh, sweat and tears that go into it. <laughs> right. Um, I, I would not consider myself. A by profession, a coder, but I do consider myself a technologist. Gotcha. And and so your team, I mean, did you bring in a coder as part of like one of the founders or did you hire out? How did, how did you get the technology built? Yeah. So we, we have a founder. He's passionate about it. And, you know, we wanted to make sure we had that insourced. And because for a lot of reasons, incentives need to be right. We need to be flexible, reactive to, to kind of the market needs. When we're going through and introducing a very novel product for conservative base. We have to be able to listen to what they're wanting and move at their pace. An example of this is we don't necessarily, we're not necessarily going to move on a fully digitized process out of the gate. We're actually starting with accepting 
calls. You're a traditional call center, call taker. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the, the reason why is we want to create that first trusted relationship and that sense that there's somebody else on the other line and this is going to work. And then once we have that trust built, I think we'll be able to leverage that into the digital space because now people are going to have a relationship with us. We well, are entering into a space that hasn't really seen much innovation in the past. Yeah, so I mean, like it's I, been a long time. Yeah, so. hundreds of years, maybe. I mean, like you know, yeah. obviously the um, uh, the the the, autom- <laughs> the automobile was pretty pretty big portion of uh, the innovation in that space. But you know, I mean, I, I would imagine that. You know, it's it's difficult when, especially farming, which and, and cattle raising ranchers, which often have a lot of generational, generation to generation taking over the land, taking over the family farm. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's a reason that's part of the American lexicon, right? Is that we we understand that that's uh, that's something you see throughout the generations, but that also you know that knowledge that can only be generational can sometimes also hold things back when when you're when you're going based off of what has always worked before. And so the hesitation hesitation to jump into technology I, I can imagine makes a lot of sense to to do something like a call center and uh, ensure that you're giving those hu- human touch points with the goal of making it so that it's it is that kind of super simple, you know, Uber Uber Ubering cows over <laughs> essentially, right? Right. Yeah. And 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 that's exactly right. So when we look at and we we learn this through our interviews. So we, we go out and we're very active in, in talking to ranchers and what's going on. And there's a lot of hesitation. You know, what has worked for them uh, and made them successful is is what they're going to continue to do unless there's a compelling reason. And you have to start thinking about, okay, what is their process right now? Okay, they call a stockyard and they arrange for all the delivery and the transaction. Well, we can do that. We're not going to force you to change what you're doing. But you can also check out what's going on by looking online. So we're we're looking at how we can mirror a process that already exists. Go with what they know, but as you're kind of guiding them through that, educating them on the new new process. Right. And then we we'll have we'll have our own internal process digitally to match it. So eventually they're gonna start moving over there. So yeah. I take example kind of the ATM, right? So I go to a real teller and I have I ask the same things. I make a withdrawal or I give a deposit or whatever. And uh, eventually, you know, I have the context of ATM in that same way. And I start switching because, you know, the bank's closed and I still need to get money on or I want to do this deposit or whatever. That's what we try to look at is, is process mirroring. All right. So you mentioned, you know, one founder. How many founders does Catalog have? Well, we look at two right now. So okay. it's myself and my technical founder. And how did y'all get connected? So we got connected at WashU. He was there as a, as an engineering student. I was there as an MBA, trying to basically get to one of these smart people. And um, we, I, I worked on a lot of other consulting projects when I was there. We got connected through mutual friends, and he's just an awesome dude. So we were <laughs> hanging out just beside that, and it, it worked out to he wanted to kind of continue to look at how can he apply his skill set to to provide innovation, to disrupt things and go through that process because he has a passion for the business side too. Yeah. So it ended up being just a really good fit on the founder level. So did he have any kind of agricultural background or, or what was he doing before WashU? So before WashU, he was, he's actually Chinese. And so uh, before WashU, he was working in marketing in China. There's an area in China called Pearl River Delta that encompasses Hong Kong and a lot of other large cities that most people in the U.S. aren't familiar with, uh, but it's also the innovation engine for the Chinese economy. And what's his name? 
Wei Hong. So when you call up Wei Hong and you'd be like, hey, uh, I got this great idea for a business. Mm-hmm. We're going to make buying cows as easy as buying cars. Yes. That was actually pretty much the phone call. <laughs> what was his reaction to something like that? No, he was very excited. We had worked on a couple of the projects before this too. Um, so we he, he kind of understands the process that we go through too. We have a very good working relationship on just figuring out the business process, how the technology can be applied, and then thinking about how we're going to go to market. All kind of lining that up. And we know where our knowledge gaps are, and we start filling those pretty quickly. Yeah. So, yeah, we had a pretty interesting conversation. Like, oh, cows, okay. Most people would be like, Dave, you're crazy. <laughs> um, but Wei Hong was like, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Let's look at that. So have y'all have y'all had y'all's first transaction through the system? Not yet. What we're doing right now is we're still in the process of, of testing out. We view this differently than a, we did a, before this, we did a um, application for small business loyalty called Get Punch. Our take on that was to get out in the market very, very early and just get a ton of feedback and, and fix, fix, fix. So the traditional kind of highly iterative process that most startups are taught is, is kind of, this is how you do things. Um, with this, I, I think we, we kind of did a little reflection on it and we were like, hey, you know what? This is a pretty big opportunity, but this is also a much different uh, base of users. And we want to move at their pace and we want to have a product that they're going to have a positive reaction to coming out of the gate. So we've been a lot more careful on how we're integrating, for instance, payment technology. There's a lot of things going on with hacking, securing your cloud. We want to make sure that those pieces and our vendors are held at very high standards so we can go out and make sure that we maintain that level of trust with this consumer base. So um, I, I think that because the nature of it is we will be the first mover on this, we do have a little bit of benefit of um, of time. We don't have the benefit of screwing it up. Well, you know, I, I know along the way, you know, you, you mentioned that you, you didn't have uh, as many kind of direct mentors when it came to jumping from military to business. But right. I mean, what resources, what mentors have kind of come along the way to, to help you guys? I mean, would you consider what you're in right now kind of a beta process or, or where you yes. are? Who helped you get uh, to where you are today? So we've had some interesting means. Uh, there's Dr. Seal out in Meridian. Uh, he's a large animal veterinarian with just a ton of experience. That was one of our first conversations. He's been generous with his time. And uh, we learned a lot about not only the viewpoint of the vet, uh, veterinarian, but also looking at uh, his interactions not just today, but back in the 70s and yeah. 80s. I mean, it's all about the health when it comes down to, you know, your final product. Yes. And he gave us a little bit of back history, too, about how things were then and how market dynamics have shifted and maybe some ways not not in a positive direction. So he's been a good guy that we reached out to. We also reached out to uh, a man named Hollinsworth, last name, in, uh, in Scott County. And he gave us some insights around just the market and the rancher's perspective. There's a lot of other folks too that we've we've talked to. Is there a challenge in the market that they do they see you as somebody who's bringing something like of quality or something new and fresh, or are you seen as an outsider? Like, are, or is that even a gap there? I, I don't know. I think right now, I'll be completely honest. This business is all about what you actually prove. Okay. And we're not going to be. A trusted agent until we show that gotcha and so that's why 
you know, our G-Wiz flashy software that we can put in front of you and, and give you a demo on, they don't care until they see it work for somebody. Yeah, I gotcha. They want to see the dollars and cents. And that's why we, we're looking at re-engineering some of our business process around call center. Because what they know is what has worked for them in the past. And if we can show that we're just as competitive on that particular dimension, but we're, we're really flexed to move them to the purely digital process, then we'll be successful with them. Innovate played a, a critical role for us, especially in our early stages. So when you're trying to figure out, you know, a very kind of complicated industry, um, you're, you're trying to also navigate kind of the resources here in Mississippi. And you also want to get feedback just from a general business perspective uh, to business leaders and have other other viewpoints, attorneys, et cetera. I think we went through a really great process early on with Innovate where they took us not only through this kind of, um, you know, we were applying for a grant. The grant itself is not what is really important. I value the process. The process, the goal setting involved, uh, the challenging coming from Innovate staff and the support that they provide along the way. So whether it's connecting you to some folks in the industry questioning core concepts that you're you're posing as your your business model and then going back and and making you kind of really think about and reflect on some of those so that played a very critical role with us um is actually last summer and our, our growth from there has definitely uh, kind of impacted how we view this market uh, how we view the opportunity and and the connections here in mississippi i, I think what we are, always are challenged here it's just Mississippi is a very spread out place, right? You need to have some level of density to connect to others. Yeah. And I think Innovate is is done a good job about creating some density around entrepreneurship here in the state. Last question. I like let's let's just take this to like its extreme. What is your vision for catalog? For for the for the industry or maybe beyond this industry, what what is your vision for catalog long term? I think it's really to in the same way that Uber allowed anybody to create an additional income and to do so on their own terms. We want to do the same thing for, for ranchers. Now, just cattle or, or beyond cattle? or So we're focused on the needs of our cattle industry. Um, that's where we're, we're going to keep all our eggs on delivering that. Um, you know, We'll expand out to other parts of the ag- agricultural industry that we, we feel like we're a good fit, um, but we definitely want to deliver on that first. Well, good deal. Well, how can people keep up with, um, you know, your, your progress or, or, you know, how, how can people get involved with your company? Yeah, absolutely. So first off, um, you know, catalog.com, it's C-A-T-T-L-O-G.com. We're going to be following up here and, and you're going to be seeing a lot more uh, action out of us out of the next couple months. We're going to be going live on a, on a site, which again, we'll have a call center backing. Feel free to call out, um, Two zero two five one zero two seven two three. Right now, we're going to be making that a much snappier one eight hundred number here soon. <laughs> yeah. By all means, what we're looking for at this point in the company is uh, people who have opinions. We want to understand what your opinions are, especially, especially if you're in the industry. We care about that a lot. Um, and we're we're definitely looking for uh, for folks who have a sales background in in, in um, the cattle industry and want to kind of get involved with something innovative. 
Thanks for listening to the show. For more origin stories of Mississippi-based innovators, be sure to subscribe to the show at originsofinnovation.com. Our show is produced by Pottery Studios and made possible by Innovate Mississippi. I'm Bo York, and you've been listening to Origins of Innovation.